Good morning, Village Church East. It is good to see you. I feel like a visitor. Like, I've missed so much church. I know. So if, you, uh, if I haven't know, met you yet, my name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and we're really glad uh, that you are here. As you can see, we have a big month coming up in September, a lot of stuff coming up. Thank you, Megan, for clarifying all those things for us. That's why we do the cards for you, so you can keep track of things. we got a worship night, actually, coming up. Uh, in my backyard that I'm particularly excited about, but you can read all about that uh, on the cards for the month of September. Today is a very special day because uh, we get to kind of close the book on Joseph. We have two Sundays left to talk about this, and so we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to take a little breather next week. We're going to do our ministry Sunday, ministry focus big time next week, and then the final week is on Genesis 50, the final chapter in the book of Genesis. After that, we are going to move on to a study in 1 Peter. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, um, that should excite you a little bit, because 1 Peter talks a lot about how we live in a world that's ever-changing, and especially in a world that is changing religion, and how we, how we find the truth when it gets a little foggy and a little confusing out there. And so, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, Michael and I are excited about this. We actually have another church joining us for our sermon prep because uh, they're going to do the series with us as well. So our sermon prep thing is starting to catch on in the neighborhood, and we're excited about that uh, as well. Uh, but just to give you a little update on that, that starts in, uh, so not next Sunday, the Sunday after that, but the Sunday after that, which I think is the last Sunday of September. Uh, anyway, somewhere along there. might be the third Sunday of September. But, um, but it's going to be a fun study. Hope that you'll uh, join us for that. Jacob is coming to the end of his life. He has turned into an old man. He has his uh, strength is failing him. You remember Jacob is a strong guy. He moved the, the top of that uh, uh, well. You remember the cover off the well, uh, which usually took several men to do it. He did that all by himself when Rachel showed up because he wanted to show her how strong he was and impress this young lady so he could get her attention. He has been a strong-minded individual. He has been a strong-willed individual. Everything about Jacob has been, this guy is strong. Now he's coming to the end of his life. He is losing his strength. Not only that, but he's losing his eyesight. Can anybody say, I understand how Jacob feels, right? Losing his eyesight, he's having a very hard time uh, coping with the way that he is aging. And he has one final project to do. In fact, this final project that he has to do, he wants to make sure that he does it with all of his strength, with all his vitality. He wants to be able to understand what he's doing to comprehend it fully because it is the most important job that Jacob has ever done. In fact, if you read Scripture, it is the only job that he's commended for. It's the only thing Jacob is commended for in the New Testament is what he does today. And what he does today is, you probably uh, know this by now, is he's about to pass on the blessing. Let me bring up to speed Genesis 47, verse 29. If you're using your Bibles or electronics, you can turn there real quick. Genesis 47, 29. We always put it up on the screen so you can follow as well. We're actually going to be in Genesis 48 this morning, but let's start at the end of 47. When the time drew near that Israel, that's, Joseph, uh, that's Jacob now, this is Joseph's father. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. This was an act of, uh, of covenant. Uh, it was an intimate moment. You can imagine if you say, hey, put your hand on my thigh. You're, you're supposedly close to the person you're asking that favor from, Right? This was a way that they, it was like, it was like a, a blood handshake kind of a moment for this. So he puts his hand under his side, and he says to Joseph, Do not bury me where, church? Don't bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers, Abraham, Isaac. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, Joseph answered, I will do as you said. Verse 31 is not up there, but the verse 31 says, And he said, Swear it to me. And he swore it to him. In spite of Jacob being in this land of opulence with this this food and grain, and he got the best of the best. Remember, Pharaoh gave him all the best of the land. He and his sons now live in the best place in Egypt. But regardless of that, he said, I just want to make sure you bury me at home. 
So Joseph says, I promise. And now he gets down to business in verse 1 of chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Joseph presumably after 47 goes back to work because you never know when you're going to die. So he says, just call me when dad gets worse. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I feel like I just walked into a, uh, a uh, Disneyland, you know. <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> yeah, it's next door. Yeah, that's for the children, by the way. That's not God speaking. All right. <laughs> Luke. All right, verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. These are the two sons of Joseph now. And it was told to, Joseph, your, to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Thus Israel, that's Jacob's name now, thus Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob is about to do the most important thing in his life. Now you're probably wondering, why am I hammering this? You'll know. Track with me and you'll realize it. This is greater than the angelic vision of the angel, the angels going up and down into heaven. This was greater than the wealth that he accumulated that he stole from Laban. This is greater than... Uh, uh, this is greater than the fight he had with the angel all night. This is the greatest thing that Jacob is about to do. For this, Jacob gathered his remaining incredible strength and took charge of his death. He's about to pass on the blessing he had stolen, repented over, but always valued. This birthright, this blessing, was what his life had been all about. In fact, if I say, do you remember the story of Jacob? You probably would say, yeah, he's the guy that stole the birthright and the blessing, right? It's the only thing this guy's known for. And now he has to pass it on. It is the most valuable thing in his life. In fact, let me read you the moment uh, he is commended. If you know Hebrews chapter 11, this is the chapter of faith. It talks about all the people in the Old Testament that walked by faith, that were incredible men and women of faith. It's a wonderful read. Jacob's name is included in Hebrews 11, but only in this small little phrase. It says, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. In other words, this is the crucial moment of Jacob's life. We live in a world where parents want to pass on good things to their children. If you're a parent, you totally understand that. Best education you can give them, the best financial base you can provide for them, the best social circles that will enhance their lives, the best investment you can give them to guarantee them a future. Right? And the older you get, the more you think to yourself, boy, I haven't collected enough for these kids. Look how they spend money. I'm never going to give them everything that they need. And when you're young, you're thinking to yourself, I should really do that. And you never seem to get around to it. And it seems like when it's time to pass on the inheritance, it's like, oh, I want to just make sure my kids have the best of everything. So let me ask you this, church. What is the best thing you can pass on to your children? Yeah. When you put it in, in that frame, anything you pass on to them here will rot, get spent, get misplaced, or ruin them. Friends leave, money gets spent, health declines, time slips away from all of us. It seems like everything that we have to pass on is only going to kind of go by the wayside and, or get used in a, in a way that we would maybe not approve of. Passing on a strong passion for the truth of God and a death-defying faith that challenges anything life throws their way is truly an inheritance we can give them. An inheritance that lasts. Now, this is not something I just came up with, by the way. This is something that Jesus came up with when he said in Matthew 6, verse 29, Do not lay up for yourselves... Read the next word. Church, what does the next word say? Treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I always find that an interesting phrase. It doesn't say where your heart is is where your treasure is. It says where your treasure is is where your heart You know why? Because where you put your investments guides where your heart goes. Your money decides where your heart goes. 
It's not what you love you invest in. It's what you invest in you learn to love. And with Jesus Christ, He says, you've got to invest in faith stuff. Eternal stuff. Because if you invest in that, you are going to start building an inheritance that your kids are going to see long before you ever get to Jacob's stage here. Long before you're ever trying to gather up what remaining strength you have. Listen, telling your kids about your faith on your deathbed is a wonderful thing, but it's starting way too late. Our inheritance of faith needs to be passed on to our kids now, like every day. Because quite frankly, we don't know what it's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen by the end of the day today. Jesus says the greatest treasure that you're communicating to your children will communicate what you love. That is the inheritance that you want to pass on. Jacob is, just, is about to do just this at this pinnacle moment in his erratic life. And I love this about it because Jacob finally, after, after his name gets changed with that fight with the angel, he finally gets a little more focused on what life is about. And so when he looks to bless his children, who do you think he starts with? Not what child does he start with, but what person does he start talking about first? You won't be surprised when you read this in verse 3. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, that's Yahweh God El Shaddai, the God who bends creation. Jacob loves this name for God. So do I, quite frankly. Because I think to myself, you know, some things God just can't break through. But when you think about El Shaddai, you're, you're meant to understand that God is the God who bends creation on our behalf. He does the miracles that we pray for. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Jacob wanted his sons to have as their last memory of him a scene where he gives God all the credit and all the glory. This would prepare them for whatever was to come their way. It would be the snapshot that they remember in life of their dad, of their grandfather. It's the snapshot that they remember of this man who has lived such a crazy, erratic life. This would be what they focus back on when they think about their dad. Jacob reiterates how important God is to him. Verse 4, and he said to me, behold, God said to me, in other words, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Notice what, God, what J- Jacob says to his children. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand, God did this for me. When it's time to pass on the inheritance, he starts with what God did for him, and what his responsibility is now to his children. And it all centers around God. And I love this. He says, listen, and you need to understand, children, you are included in this promise. God made this promise to me, and now this inheritance goes to you. We see Jacob's heart. And in this scene, as he's losing his eyesight, he can't quite see everybody that's in the room. So he looks off in the corner, and he notices some, some, some figures standing off in the corner. And he calls them over to himself in verse 8. And Israel saw Joseph's sons, and he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has, blessed, has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now this is incredible. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. He knows, Jacob knows this blessing will include Joseph's offspring. But Joseph is going to be stuck in Egypt. Joseph's got a life to live in Egypt. Now this blows me away. Joseph is the one who should have got the inheritance. Joseph is a direct son. By the way, the favorite son of Jacob. But Joseph was not made to carry on the blessing. Joseph was made for the purpose of saving Israel, saving his brothers who didn't deserve it. Can I get an amen? His job was to save his family from starvation. And he would live and he would die in the land of Egypt. But Jacob does something incredible. Jacob says, Joseph, even though you can't be a recipient of the blessing, I would like for your two sons to come in and not be my grandchildren anymore, but be my my direct heirs, my own sons. 
he calls Reuben and Manasseh over to himself. And he blesses them. I love that. Verse 11, then Israel said to Joseph, can you see the tenderness here? A father speaking to his son, saying, I never expected to see your face. Behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them, the children, from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph goes down to the ground when he realizes his dad now is going to basically adopt his two children to be direct heirs of the promise of God. Now get this. Jacob is pulling these two children out of the opulence of Egypt. And he's saying to them, now you're going to be my sons. You're going to belong to me. And Joseph falls to the ground with a face to the ground because he knows what a great honor this is. But think of this from a normal standpoint. Is life as a shepherd in the land of Canaan better than living as, the second, as, as a son to the second most powerful person in the most prestigious, uh, fruitful place on the entire planet? Which would you prefer? You want to be a shepherd? Or do you want to live in Egypt? And these kids have only known Egypt. It's not, it's not like they're having to learn something brand new. This is all they've known. Now they're being pulled out of Egypt, and Jacob is saying, I want you to go back to the land of Canaan. Be a shepherd with the rest of my kids and learn to love my sons. <laughs> By the way, we remember what Egypt thought of shepherds? Low life. I wonder how many people would think that these kids got the better deal. Jacob, however, was determined because he knew that this was a better blessing. This was the spiritual line that had to go through him and directly to 12 individuals. And so he pulled them into his own family as adoptees. Boy, if you ever want to do a message on adoption, this is a great message for adoption. Verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life. Notice how many times Jacob is using God's name here. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And the angel who has redeemed me from all Egypt, bless these boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob does two unique things here. Unique thing number one, Ephraim and Manasseh would become the remaining two tribes of Israel. I said Reuben before, I apologize for that. Ephraim and Manasseh were the two sons of Joseph. These two sons would become the remaining tribes of Israel. They would be the direct line. In fact, if you were to look at the land of Israel uh, in the Old Testament, there are two large blocks of land that have Ephraim and Manasseh's name on them. These are now 13 brothers. So you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I'm doing the math in my head. There's 12 tribes of Israel, but now with two sons coming in and taking Jacob's place, that means now there's 13. How can there be 13 when there's only 12 tribes? Uh, now think about it. What's the one tribe that never got land? Levi. Levi never got land. Why did Levi never get land? Because they were the priestly tribe. They were the priests to all the other tribes. So you take Levi out of the picture, they didn't get land, all the rest of them got land, there's your 12 tribes of Israel. That's interesting that Jacob did that, first of all. But the unique thing, number two, is Jacob goes against culture. When Joseph brings up his sons to be adopted into the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, Jacob switches his hands around. The oldest one is brought to his right hand, the youngest one is brought to his left hand, and usually the one at the right hand gets the greater blessing, and the one that's the left hand gets the lesser blessing. The older gets always gets the greater blessing, right? <laughs> yeah, not so much in this family. It happens over and over again that the youngest gets the greater blessing, and this is the case here as well. Joseph doesn't realize what his dad is doing, but what Jacob does is, because he can't see, he takes his right hand, he puts it on the younger, and takes his left hand and puts it on the head of the older. 
Joseph is very confused. We can read in verse 17, When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand, <laughs> get this, to move it from Ephraim's hand. to Can you just see this? It's like, it's like a younger son with an older dad that's going, Excuse me, dad, just let me help you get the wrong hand on here. Just move the hand over here. Move it from Ephraim's hand to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Verse 19, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations, and the blessings begin. Three important facts about the blessing. This is what I take from this. Now, this some of this is going to blow you. Some of this you've never thought about before. So just let me rock your world for a while here and, and just kind of sit on it for a second and we can talk afterwards. But some things blow me away. Number one, equality is not part of the blessing. Joseph received the greater blessing. The, one, one, the oldest child always received the greatest blessing. Joseph, if you read through this, we're not going to have time to do it, but Joseph received an incredible blessing from his dad. And his oldest son should have received a, just as an incredible blessing, but he doesn't. Equality is not the point of the blessing. And by the way, who's the oldest in Jacob's family? Is it Joseph? He was second youngest. And yet you should read, and go home and do this, read Joseph's blessing compared to the rest of these losers. Because the, Joseph's blessing is outstanding. So Jacob blesses Joseph in this incredible way that he does not bless the other kids with. Equality is not the point of the blessing. There are stipulations in God's word for how you bless one child over another. Now sit on that for a second. We're going to get back to it. Number two thing that kind of gets me about this is sometimes God's vision for our children doesn't make everybody happy. God's vision for your children might mean you need to adjust personal expectations. For instance, what if God called your child into the mission field? What if they were an outstanding mathematician or they blew science out of the water, mathematician? What if, what if they were incredible in some subject? What if they were everything that you wanted to be? And one day they walked through the door and they said, hey, mom and dad, I think the Lord is calling me to the mission field. How would you respond? That kind of happened to me. I, I share this story before. It's, I remember the day that I came home from school and I walked into the living room and Mom was interested, like, you've been in school for three years. Have you decided what you want to do? It's about time you, you did, you know, get off your duff and make something of yourself. And I said, well, Mom, i got to tell you, I think the Lord's calling me into full-time ministry. <laughs> and she cried. And she cried. She didn't cry because she didn't approve. She cried because she realized life of the ministry is a little different than other other kinds of things that you might do. It has limitations. It has expectations. It has, it's a whole different kind of lifestyle. My mom knew that. And so when I said that to her, it's like, oh, he's not going to be the CEO of a large company. He's not going to be... My mom is extremely proud of me. At, at least I think that she is. I'll ask her when I see her. But I'm pretty sure she's extremely proud of me to this day. But that, that's kind of, a, it's kind of a wild thing. Some, sometimes when we think to ourselves, my kid has such potential, God's going to use them in this way, and maybe God has something completely different for them. So sometimes our idea of what we pass on to our kids might need to be adjusted just a little bit. Number three, sometimes God's vision for our inheritance doesn't fit with cultural expectations. God's vision for your children may mean that you need to rethink what you pass on in light of what God expects. What do I mean by that? When one child is not following the Lord and the other is, how do you pass on your inheritance? Now this is a tough one. But if my whole life is spent taking things out of the kingdom of darkness, redeeming them and using them for God's glory... If my whole life is about taking 
you know, purchasing things and redeeming land and, and making sure that everything in life brings God's glory. Everything that God gives to me as a good steward, I have taken from the kingdom of darkness and I've transferred it like He wants me to into the kingdom of light. So I use everything that I have to bring God's glory. Everything I have is His, including my children. My car, my home, everything. Everything that I have is His. Now, I, I don't always pull it off, but that's my goal in life. When I die... If I've got a kid that just hates God and a kid that loves God, what is my responsibility? Because if I divide stuff up equally at my death, I'm taking all that God has given me to redeem and putting it back into the kingdom of darkness. That's not good stewardship. I know it blows you away, doesn't it? You're thinking to yourself, this doesn't sound very fair. It doesn't. That's why these blessings in the Old Testament matter so much when we read about them. Because these blessings are different for each child. And the reason they are is because God knows the hearts of these children and what they can and cannot handle. God trusts us all through life with the things that He gives us. We are to use them for His glory during our lifetimes and after we die. Um, Trent is here, and if you haven't met Trent, he's an awesome guy. He's, he's going to school here. Uh, we met Trent last year for the first time. He helped us out with our Korean mission that we're doing uh, over in the land of South Korea. Got to meet a whole lot of new friends over there. And one thing that I love about serving Korea is that we get to serve with one lady who is the direct descendants of some of the first converted folks to Christianity in Korea. Missionaries came over, a bunch of people were converted, and they chopped off all the heads of the missionaries. But the rest of these people that were converted, they put their money and their inheritance all into these these trusts so that the country of South Korea could be turned over to the glory of God. And that money and that, those trusts have been passed on and passed down so that they are guarded by these individuals, and they, that money, that, those resources are used to transfer South Korea over into the kingdom of light. Why would you ever take all of those inher- the, 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 the purpose of those, that inheritance and divide it up equally because that's what culture demands? That, those resources and my resources are meant to be used to grow the kingdom of God. I know that will rock your world. Sit on it for a while and we'll talk about it later, all right? Finally, one more thing. I don't know if you've been noticing, but one thing is in- interesting How many times have we read the word Jacob versus the word Israel? Have you noticed? It's been Jacob, 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 Jacob stole this, Jacob cheated this, Jacob did this. You know, it's been Jacob all the way. But now all we're hearing is Israel, the new name that God has given to Jacob. Jacob was a reminder of what used to be important to this man. Prestige, steal steal the name of his father. Power, steal the influence from his family. Wealth, get everything you can from Laban. Everything that was attached to Jacob's name was all about what he could get for himself. And then God wrestled with Jacob that fateful night. Let me bring you up to speed in case you kind of lost your place along the way here or just joining us. God wrestles Jacob And Jacob is desperate for a life that had a future, and he realizes he's going to die. Esau's right around the corner. He's lived his life for useless things. And so he wrestles with this angel in verse 26 of way back in Genesis 32. The angel said to to Jacob after wrestling the entire night, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you what church? Unless you bless me. He finally realized the most important thing in life was this blessing, and he realized this was an angelic individual, probably halfway through the fight. With that desperate plea for a real blessing, Jacob surrendered. He admitted that he chased the wrong futures for himself. He admitted he'd done life wrong. He admitted his life was about valuing wrong things. So God gives him a new name. It's in verse 26 of the same chapter. And he said to him, what is your name? The angel says to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And everything bad was attached to that name. In fact, Esau began using that name in a derogatory way. He, he, he even said, Jacob, Jacob to me. 
The meaning in that name means I got, I got, I got, I got taken advantage of, I got, I got hurt, I got abused by Jacob. So the angel says to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And he says to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Not that he won the fight. That's not what that means. It means that he finally realized where the best values in life come from. Following God with his whole heart, his whole mind, and his whole strength. Making God his vision. And after this is when he went back to Esau and he repented before Esau thinking he's going to die. And he ends up reconciling with his brother. Israel was who God changed Jacob into once he surrendered and realigned his true treasures in life. So the Bible reminds us at the end of Jacob's life that Jacob is not the man we once knew. In verse 2 it says, Israel rallied his strength. In verse 9 it said, Israel said to Joseph, bring the children to me. Verse 10, Israel's eyes were failing. Verse 11, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. With all of these values realigned in Jacob's life, Jacob was gone, Israel was here. And it's with this confidence that he goes on to bless his children. Now this is important because what Jacob is doing is he is acknowledging God has changed him from a liar, a cheat, a thief, and made him into something new. And every blessing that he gives is centered around that truth. Here's some of the blessings. Simon and Levi are brothers. Weapons and violence are their swords. So Simon and Levi in front of him. Let my soul come not into the council. O my glory, be not joined to their company for their anger. In their anger they killed men. In their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce and wrath. It is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And you're thinking to yourself, what kind of a blessing is that? (laughs) Simon and Levi, all you're doing is telling them all about all their foibles. Does the same thing with Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent on the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that the rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O God. Benjamin, same thing. Verse 27. Benjamin, you know, he loves Benjamin. Rachel's secondborn. But he says to Benjamin, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and in the evening dividing the spoil. That's what Benjamin gets. What kind of blessings are these? They're real. You know what I mean by that? I mean, these kids know who they are. (laughs) Have you ever had to dig up a blessing for somebody because you don't want to acknowledge who they really are? All right, we're not going to talk about all their bad things. Like every funeral that I do. All right, we're going to move all the bad things to the side, and we're just going to talk about the good things. Not these blessings. These blessings highlight even the failures of the sons. These were wicked sons capable of doing terrible things. Do we know these are wicked individuals? Yeah. Jacob had to be reminded of his own past as he spoke these final blessings. And I got to tell you, church, I think this is in the back of his mind. He's thinking to himself, listen, boys, you think you've done bad things? You have no idea. I've done far worse. I've coveted, I've stolen, I've lied, I've cheated. I've done, I haven't sold my brother into slavery, but I've done bad things. And instead of glossing it over, he looks at them and he says, listen, I know what it means to be somebody you're not proud of, but you need to understand God can make you into somebody amazing. You need to surrender these tendencies to God and watch what he can do with what he has created in you. That is a warning. If they continue in their sin, it's going to destroy them. But he gives them hope by reminding them that God can redeem these unique tendencies for his own glory, just as he did for Jacob. So what? Here's your so what's. I love this. I, I hope that I've done a good job of communicating this because this one, as I was doing it, brought me to tears. This message. Church, bless your children truly. Warn them with the love of a true follower of Jesus Christ. 
point out areas God needs to work on. Because the Holy Spirit may be talking to them, but they might not be listening. So you talk to them. Don't gloss it over. Listen, child, you have this tremendous tendency to be like all over the place and not focus on anything. You've got to focus. Take all that energy and pull it to one place and do one thing really well. Because if you can do that, God has created this amazing energy field in your life that if you focus it, you can, you can do amazing things. It's our job not to com- condemn our children, but to pull our children into the truth of what God can do if He can have those areas that need yet to be surrendered. So warn them as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Give them hope by reminding them of God's power to use their lives for things that really matter for eternity. Tell them your story. What has God done for you? Tell them. Tell them often. How many times do you tell your kids once and they go, oh, mom, no, I remember you told us that three years ago and I still remember. We're good. My kids don't remember what I told them yesterday. So tell them over and over again. They might say, we've heard that story before and then tell it in a different way. Let them know what God has done for you. And not just one thing, but all kinds of things. Really, the things that really matter for eternity. And remind them of how uniquely God has made their personality traits. Give them hope. Your kids may be driving you crazy because they got this weird, weird kind of personality. It's your job as a parent not to condemn the personality, but to figure out, why does God give your kid this personality? Because he made them that way for a reason. You turned out weird, but if you use the things that God has created you for, you can pull those weird things together and do something great. Do that for your kids. Speak the truth. Don't pretend your kids are precious beyond belief, because they are not. We don't raise our kids to be precious. We raise them to be followers of Jesus Christ. Too many kids think they're raised to be precious, and when they meet somebody that doesn't think they're precious, it blows their mind. Don't pretend your kids are precious. Let them know God is in the business of using their strengths and redeeming their failures. And God can use, I am proof, exhibit A, that God can use even the foibles and the failures and the weaknesses in our lives to bless other people. When I dropped... Hannah off at college last Sunday, which is why we weren't here, by the way. Um, thank you, Brent, for bringing the word last Sunday. Um, I, was, I was burdening my heart to remind my little girl, God has, even though I really wanted her to get back in the car and come home, <laughs> I was burdening my heart to remind my little girl, God has given you an amazing education, an amazing mind, an amazing strength in your body, an amazing love for others, Like Hannah does some things really, really well. She can do some things not so well. But God has given her these wonderful traits. Why? So that at that day, last Sunday, when I stood at her door and said goodbye to her for the first time, leaving her at college, I could look at her and I could say, God has put you here for a purpose. And God has built you into who you are today so that I could say goodbye to you and know he's going to still work in your heart. I could give her a car. I could give her my house. We could give her a good bank account. That's never going to happen. We could, we, could give her, we could give her all kinds of stuff. But what I want to give her is hope that God can use her. That's an inheritance incorruptible. Number two. Remember the end game. The end game is this. It has two parts. Number one, God's vision for our children is about building something and pursuing more eternal things. Everything in the ancient Near East, everything in the Old Testament was attached to three things. It was attached to lineage, land, and legacy. Lineage, blessings were attached to a family. If you had the last name Jarvis, you were known as, you got this, you, this, this was who you were. It's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around this, but in the ancient Near East, which is what A-N-E stands for, in the ancient Near East, not just in the Old Testament, your name was attached to a certain something. Everybody knew you by your name. 
That's why in the New Testament, everybody had to come back to the land that they were born in in order to register. You remember that when Jesus was born? Because your name was attached to an area. And you were known in that area as, as either being an upstanding individual or not so upstanding. It's attached to your lineage, the blessings that are attached to the family name. The land where the blessings attached to the family land. The way that you got more stuff is that you got more land. The deal was the more land you had, the more, the more fame, the more wealth you had. And so when you had your family land, you hung on to that land, which, is, which makes sense. You remember in the Old Testament when, when that wicked king Ahab wanted to steal Naboth's vineyard. Do you remember that? And Naboth said, I can't sell you my vineyard. He says, I want your vineyard. I look out my window. It's a beautiful vineyard. Give me your vineyard. I'll pay you lots and lots and lots of money for it. Naboth said, no amount is enough because this belongs to my family. Been in my, <coughs> it's been in my family for years, I, for centuries. I can't give it to you. So he killed him and took it away from him. Your blessings were attached to land. Your blessings were attached to legacy. Legacy is what... What, what, what your family's wealth and social status was in society. But the New Testament is different. The, from the New Testament, our children and the disciples that we're involved in making for Jesus Christ is not about a physical thing. It's about an eternal thing. Blessings are ours because of Jesus Christ. We're adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. We don't have, we, all that ancient Near East stuff doesn't ring true with us because we can't identify with it. But in a sense, it's exactly what Jesus gives us. Let me rock your world. What land are we attached to, church? Yeah, a better one. A better land. And it's spoken of all the ways, all, all over in Scripture. Here's one, Ephesians 1, 5-6. He, Jesus, predestined us for the adoption to himself. Or God, the Father, has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In other words, our blessings are about being a part of a heavenly family. We have a heavenly family, a lineage, a better family than the one we have here, an eternal family. Also, our blessings are attached to a new land, a better land. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's all about some other land other than this one right here, although this one will be redeemed someday, which I can't wait for. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, as it is, they, followers of Christ desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is preparing for them a city. You can read more about this in Revelation chapter 21. It's a great read. But we're also attached to a legacy. We have a better inheritance than anything you could have here. Bank accounts are going to go away. If you don't know that, reverse like a few years ago to where banks are all going belly up. Think your money's safe? Think your inheritance is safe? Everything can change in a heartbeat. But this eternal inheritance does never fade. 1 Peter 1, 3. He has caused us to be born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is what, church? Imperishable, Imperishable undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Our blessing is not that we are adopted into the family of Jacob to receive an inheritance in Canaan. Like Ephraim and Manasseh, everybody is welcome to be adopted into the family of God. Everybody's welcome. And everybody receives the blessings of God, the blessings of the Father, because your brother now is Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Little Ephraim, little Manasseh, his little grandchildren being adopted in, and now they're brothers. Their uncles are now their brothers. Great picture. The end game part two is this. God invites us to join us in this redemptive plan to pass on this blessing to others. Listen, church, leave your kids redemptive snapshots all the time. Every time you can. So that when it comes to the end of your life and you pass on an inheritance that really matters, nobody will be surprised. Two years ago, I have a snapshot from my own dad. 
Two years ago, my dad passed away, and he called all of his kids around his bedside. And he began losing his battle to cancer, and so he called us all around his side, and he wanted, he wanted to bless us. Now, I have different snapshots of my dad from life. I have snapshots, <laughs> I wrote some of them down. I have snapshots of my dad, the worker, when I was allowed to help him with his projects, like pop riveting together a rusted out 1966 Plymouth in our driveway. Or the protector. I have snapshots of my dad, like the day he was fired. And he told us he had to go back to school to start learning a brand new trade. I have snapshots of my dad, the adventurer, when he took us for the camping trip in the pop-up trailer that wouldn't stop leaking during the storm in the middle of the night. I have snapshots of my dad on and on and on. But one of the greatest snapshots I'm going to share with you this morning is two years ago when he called us around his bedside. He called his children and his grandchildren and brought them each one at a time or small groups at a time. And each one, he blessed us. He knew he was losing his battle against cancer and he called each one of us in. And each one he blessed and he begged to remain faithful to the one who had been faithful to him. I was fortunate enough to get to hear some of these as I was taking care of my dad that day. And the the thing that got me wasn't the blessings that he handed off to each one of these children, these last moments when he had his strength and he got to share these really important things. But the thing that got me is every kid, every adult that came in that room was not surprised. Nobody was surprised that my dad would do this. You want to know why? Because my dad had been handing on these blessings his whole life. My dad had been a, a vessel used for God his entire life. And when it came time for him to say his final strong words, knowing that he would begin losing his strength, it surprised none of us that he would look at each of us and say, listen, it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters how you live. It doesn't matter how much you get. It matters how much you give. It doesn't matter who loves you. It matters who you love. You got one life. Use it for the Lord. My dad gave me that snapshot of life that did not surprise anyone but burned a picture in my mind that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Listen, church, our responsibility as believers is to verbalize the truth of God's redemptive power over the lives of broken people. Let me say that one more time because it's really good. Our responsibility as believers is to verbalize the truth of God's redemptive power over the lives of broken people. It starts with our own children, but it doesn't end there. The job doesn't end in our homes. God is always about redeeming the broken. And once in a while, God would bring into the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would bring into their their blessings somebody like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. God didn't like the Moabites. They were mean to Israel. But Ruth became a follower of God. And God brought her in. God brought in Caleb. Caleb was a, was a, 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 a person of the land of Canaan. He became a follower of Jesus Christ, an incredible one. God brought in Canaan, uh, uh, Caleb. God brought in a prostitute. You remember that? Rahab. Because she wanted to follow. It, it doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is what can you do with a God who pulls you out of the darkness and brings you into the kingdom of light? Everyone is invited to the family of God. Somebody may have told you your future, and you may have bought into it. Breaks my heart the way that people talk about other people's futures. Listen, let God speak to your heart about your future. People, people look to the, all the wrong places for where their future... Facebook is the worst. Because you look on Facebook and you think to yourself, all these people are living all these amazing lives. And, and they're all lies. 
They even hire people called influencers, I'm just finding out now. I'm just catching up in culture, I know. And they lie about their whole lives to sell stuff. And they put it on Instagram, and they put it on Facebook, and they make sure that it influences others. Listen, people may have told you about your life and told you about your future. Stop listening to the lies and start listening to the one who gave his son so that you could be redeemed, to give you a future beyond belief, even if it means you might become a missionary or pastor. (laughs) God calls us so that he can use us, so that we can take this inheritance and start spending it now. So invite your children to an inheritance that really matters and will never fade. Communicate to them constantly. We don't hold the same values as those around us. We pass on a greater lineage, the name of Jesus Christ. We want our children to inherit a spiritual land that's eternal. And we want to value our true legacy, which is not making our names greater, but making his name greatest. Let's pray. So Father, this is an interesting message about a guy that basically piddled away most of his life doing the wrong things, but who you redeemed and gave a second chance to. And now with desperation as an old man, he wants to pass on a true, honest, and hope-filled blessing to his children. Father, I pray that in our lives we would understand that We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. So help us to begin making those inheritance snapshots for our children today so that when it comes time for the end of our lives, no one would be surprised if we verbalize that our inheritance, our real inheritance, is the faith that we pass on from us to them. So Father, teach us. Help us to be reminded today. Help us to be refocused about what really matters and help us to strive for things that last for eternity and communicate that best to our kids at home. Thank you for this time that you've given us to look into your word. It is outstanding. And I'm grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen.